Amen. We've been going through Matthew's Gospel. We're in chapter 10. We already did two sermons in it. We're going to keep working on through. It's our third time in Matthew 10. So as you're turning there, I want to remind you, some things will be obvious, that it was a specific call to a specific people of a specific time, the apostles. So some things don't transfer to us directly. But there are universal principles that will definitely transfer to us today. The principles are just as true today as they were for the first disciples, even though some things are unique to them. And we'll be pointing out the things from this text that are more universal. So it's Matthew 10. We're going to read a lot of it, even though we're going to hit the ground and just running and pick up where we left off last time. And we're going to read all the way from verse 1 again to verse 36. Let's stand together for the reading of the Word of God. Hear God's Word to you. He called His twelve disciples to Him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the twelve apostles. First Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely you have received. Freely give. Do not take along any gold or silver or copper in your belts. Take no bag for the journey or extra tunic or sandals or a staff, for the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search for some worthy person there and stay at his house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that home or town. I tell you the truth, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard against men. They will hand you over to the local councils and flog you in their synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. I tell you the truth, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A student is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. 
It's enough for the student to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household. So do not be afraid of them. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and errant word. May he bless it to our hearts and lives. This morning you may be seated. My brothers and sisters in Christ, last week we started to take a look at these instructions that Jesus gave the twelve before he sent them on their very first evangelistic mission. Like I mentioned, we noted that some things, although some of these things were specifically for that mission, they were given specifically to the apostles who were eyewitnesses of the risen Christ, which we are not. There are many things here that obviously still apply to us and are still very much uh, important for us to take note of and to take to heart and to apply to our own lives. In particular, we saw that Jesus deals with something that we could take out of this passage, all of us today, is one of the main issues in the church, I would say probably since apostolic apostolic times, is the fear that God's people have in witnessing. It's one of the scariest things. When you, when you bring it up, you, one of the things that you want to see your, your congregation squirm a little bit, say that we are going to be talking about witnessing this morning. And you can just see like everybody go, oh boy, here it comes. Because there are fears, both imagined and real, that we deal with in confronting people with the gospel. In our modern society, it is no easier than it was back then. And in some ways, it's even harder to present the gospel in a loving, clear, and firm way. We have many fears in witnessing. So some of the things we dealt with, if you want to hear more about it, we do, I think we recorded it the last couple weeks. You could uh, just ask me. We should someday put it online, but if not, we could email it to you um, if you want to hear about this. But I'm just going to summarize what we learned a little bit last time. Uh, We learned this. One of the fears we have is, I won't know what to say. I'm afraid I'll say the wrong thing. Jesus' answer is, don't worry. My Father will give you the words to say. Sometimes we fear failing. 
And Jesus says the only failure in witness is the failure to witness. We learned that as we looked last time. This morning we're going to see how Jesus addresses a few of the other fears we have, like this one. I'm afraid I'll be mocked, laughed at, and ostracized. Another one. I'm afraid it'll bring bring suffering. Another one. I'm afraid that it might be the death of me. As we know, in some cultures, it may bring the death of you. And even today, we hear testimonies of brothers and sisters all over the world who they do lose their lives because they stepped out and made a clear profession of Jesus. Now here's the thing. As a pastor, I could come up with all different ways to try to uh, bring comfort. I could try to answer those objections. But I think the best thing to do, and, and this is for me, myself too, is let's hear what Jesus has to say about it. My opinions aren't going to amount to much. I can't help you, but I know Jesus can. And I know that his words are the, is where I go to get my courage, to get my strength, and to deal with my fears. So that's what I have to bring to you is the word of God. And we're going to see this this morning. As Jesus sends us out into the Father's harvest field, he instructs us to be three things. We talked about other things last week, but we're going to narrow it down this week to three. He, he instructs us to be, first of all, determined. That is, we have to make up our mind that we're going to follow Jesus into his call, which includes, on some level, sharing the gospel. We need to be determined. Set our minds to it. Second of all, we need to be daring. We need to risk sometimes relationships. Right? To give you an example real quick for what I'm talking about, Jesus says, whoever loves father or mother more than me. Sometimes you've got to risk it. Say, Mom, I can't cross this line because I love Jesus. Even for you. So we need to be daring. And last of all, we're going to see we need to be devoted. To whom are you ultimately devoted? Who has your heart? At, at, the, at the core of your being, when push comes to shove, does Jesus have you? Those are the three things. Determined, daring, devoted. Let's take a look at the first one. Determined. As any worker in the Lord's harvest field knows, one of the most important qualities of a faithful witness to Christ is the most important qualities that we need is determination. That's why Jesus spends so much time, even in this text, but throughout his Gospels, so much time forewarning his disciples about the opposition that they'll eventually face when they begin to take his words to go and be his witnesses seriously. Not for no reason that Jesus again and again foretells what's going to happen when they go and actually put these things into practice. I think of uh, when we first started doing our Bible studies in New City and we were doing, uh, we did our core values and then we started digging into the scriptures and I remember a number of us were like, well, when are we going to go out and do it? And I said, oh, don't worry. <laughs> I said, soon enough. We're going to go out and do it. And then some of you are going to say to me, when can we take a break? <laughs> and that's why you need to spend that time preparing and forewarning and letting folks know exactly what they're signing up for. And Jesus is merciful. He is kind. He is good. And that's why he did not sugarcoat the call 
when he called his first 12 and us after them. Jesus didn't want them to be shocked or caught off guard when the authorities, for instance, went after him. Uh, when the fickle crowd who one minute is saying, Hosanna in the highest, the next day is saying, crucify him. Right? That's people. <laughs> he didn't want them to be shocked when the religious leaders, the people that they thought would understand, and even the own member, their own members of their own household would persecute them because they associated with Jesus and because they bring his message of love with them. I've got to be honest with you, when, when I've, I've told some of you this before, but I don't mind repeating this because it's, it's a lesson we need to remember. When I first came to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior, I was so excited to tell my mom and my grandma, my family, because I always viewed them as religious people. They always talked about Jesus. They had the rosary beads. And you look at my, my grandma's uh, dresser, and she had every saint known to man as a little figurine up on there. So I thought they would be excited. And what happened? I got the fiercest persecution. I thought for once in my life, finally I'm not the black sheep of this family. Now I'm going to be, you know. And it turned out I was more on the outs than I was when I was a rebel. That's what Jesus does. Right? I, don't come to, I haven't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. One commentator put it this way, evangelism is often short-circuited when met with resistance. Anticipating persecution is an important principle that will help us to not lose heart. In other words, we go out, we're we're bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, we do what Jesus says, and we get the door slammed in our face. And the natural reaction is, I ain't ever doing that again. But if we know ahead of time, many people will do that. Be prepared then we could take heart, we could take courage. We could say, our master warned us ahead of time. Our master told us it was going to be like this, so it's only going exactly as planned, as it were. It's exactly as he said it was going to happen. In other words, to be forewarned is to be forearmed, to be strengthened, to have what you need ahead of time. We, we can't view, we shouldn't view the hatred, the persecution of men as a sign to let up on our witnessing, but rather it should be an, an encouragement that we're on the right track. See, that's where we go wrong. Oh, this is a negative thing, so we must be on the wrong track. And Jesus says, no, keep going. You're on the right track. Look at verse 22. All men will hate you because of me. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. All men will hate you. Now, even Jesus, that's a generalization. It obviously doesn't mean every single person you meet is going to hate you as much as they possibly can. But that's not our problem. We go the other way. We don't think anybody's going to hate us. We forget that it certainly means that a great majority of people are going to hate us. And we're shocked when people are upset that we call them to repent Excuse me, and believe the good news when we confront them with their sins and their need to repent. And especially in our culture when we say Jesus is the only way. Man, they don't like that one. We like options. Listen, 
We go, I, I took my cousins into the store in America, and they were like, you know, honestly, they looked at the shelves, they said, Santa, too many choices. You have too many things here. Right? Well, we have a culture. We want to be able to choose everything down to the, to the last detail. And what God says is, I've made a way, but there's only the one way. Jesus is saying, steady now. Stay the course. The pain you're experiencing is not evidence of your father's displeasure, but rather it's evidence that you belong to me. They hated me. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. And if not, you've got to ask, why not? Right? Because they spoke well of the false prophets. Everybody loves the prophet. Peace, peace. Right? That was the Old Testament. Uh, Jeremiah said, yeah, they cry peace, peace, where there is no peace. God did not send them. No, they will hate you. And here's what Jesus says, and this is very interesting. This to me is, it strengthens my soul and my heart. He says, where my servant is, where I am, my servant will be also. If they treated me, if they called me Beelzebub, what do you think they're going to call you? (laughs) We're not above our master. How could we think that we're above Jesus? Like we're going to get off? Listen, what did Jesus get for associating himself with us? Think about it. When Jesus associated with my filthy soul, what did it get him? An executioner's cross. He could have said, thank you, Santo. You with me? So when we get it, because we associate with Jesus, what, we could never suffer enough to say thank you. Could we? Is there anything we could possibly do? If this whole realm of nature were mine, it would be an offering what? Far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. If you don't mean it, don't sing it. Sorry. No, none of us are perfect, but I'll tell you, at core... That's what the gospel does to us. It changes us into gospel men and women. I repeat my buddy Matt Bissonette's song, You Can Nail Me to the Tree, It Just Puts Me in Good Company. I want to be in good company. Paul put it this way in his epistle to the believers at Philippi. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for Him. How do I know if I'm called? You're called, all right. (laughs) You got me? We talk a lot about this calling in church. How about you're called to suffer? It's not a unique thing. Well, pastors, that's the nature of their call. They're called to suffer. You're called to suffer with Christ. We can be determined, even in the midst of persecution, knowing that we are trotting the path our Savior trod before us. We know, especially if we're not being persecuted for our own foolishness, if we're being persecuted for Jesus' sake, we could be daring in our witness, knowing that it's because we're... Why do you think they rejoiced when they got beaten? Remember when they were preaching the gospel in the book of Acts and they, they were literally beaten by rods? It said they went rejoicing 
because they were counted worthy of suffering for the name. (laughs) It's getting a little quiet in here. Newman Hall put it this way. We should learn never to interpret duty by success. The opposition which assaults us in the course of obedience is no evidence that we are mistaken. Isn't that good? So many times our witnessing efforts end before they even begin because we fear failure and we forget that the only failure is the failure to witness. We have not failed when people reject Jesus despite our best efforts to present Him lovingly, clearly, and boldly. So that's the first thing. We need to be determined and not let anything stop us from getting the words of life out. Listen, the gospel is what? The power of God for those who believe. Unto salvation, that's right, for those who believe. The devil will do anything to stop us from doing two things. Speaking those words of life and praying. You can say amen to that one. Second thing we need to be besides determined is daring. Look at verse 26. Oh, Jesus is going to meddle here. Our culture don't like what he's about to say here. Look at verse 26. So do not be afraid of them. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid you're worth more than many sparrows. Listen, do not be afraid. That's not a good suggestion. That's not some words of advice. Do not be afraid is a command from the ascended Lord of heaven. He repeats it three times in the space of five verses. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. The first time, so do not be afraid of them. The word so here in the text functions as a therefore would normally function. That means the first reason we shouldn't fear our persecutors is because a servant is not above his master. In other words, because we're in the best of company and we're not taken off guard by, his mistre- by their mistreatment, we shouldn't be afraid. Then he gives us two additional reasons not to fear, though. We dealt with the first one. Look at verse 28. He says, Don't be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who could destroy both soul and body in hell. So what is the antidote to fear? Here's a little bit of a mind bender. Fear. That's right. Fear is the antidote to fear. I know you're saying, Pastor, that sounds a little, yeah, counterintuitive. That's a good word. I like that word. But here's the issue. We need to replace our fear of men with fear of God. I, 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 there's a book someone gave me. I didn't even read it yet. I love it when the book title, you ready, it, like it says everything. You don't even have to read the book. And they say, when people are, are big and, 
Yeah, and, and God is small. <laughs> that says it all. I'm like, all right, I don't have to read that anymore. Thanks for the rebuke. You know, <laughs> like, I know what you're going to say there. Jesus says it here. What are we doing being afraid of man? Because when we, we do fear man, it's exactly right. We make God small. Amen? What Jesus is saying is it needs to be the other way around. Look, think about it this way. He's saying, let's reason together, Jesus is saying. Worst case scenario. This is what my wife always says about the church plant. She, whenever I, she see I, in my eyes, maybe I'm getting a little nervous, she would say, Sam, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? You and I go live in a tent. We'll be happy. And I'm like, oh, that's true. That's a good point. And it kind of calms me down. Been there, been there, done that. Thanks a lot, Tom. But so the other thing is, what, I mean, what Jesus is saying is this. Okay, let's go worst case scenario. What's going to happen? You witness, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? They could kill you. But they can only kill your body. Your soul is safe with me for all eternity. No, the person you should be fearing, he's saying you have it backwards. Who you should be fearing is the one who could take your body and your soul and cast it into hell. He's saying get your priorities straight. William Gurnall, he was an old Puritan guy, but he did say something really cool. He said, we fear men so much because we fear God so little. They were like giants. Ever hear that somewhere? Didn't go too well for those folks. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Much of the fears that we face today stems from our desire to be up to date, to be fashionable, to be likable. And most of all, we got to seem modern. We got to seem up to date, cutting edge. My old go-to theologian who I love, he's an old guy. He's an older brother in the Lord who's given me much wisdom throughout the years through his writings and speaking. His name is J.I. Packer. You may have heard of him. Old British guy who teaches up in Canada. But he says this, I love it. He says, our business is to present the Christian faith clothed in modern terms, not to propagate modern thought clothed in Christian terms. Confusion here is fatal. Come on, that's good, isn't it? Isn't that good? That's good stuff. A rose by any other name. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? The gospel by any other name is still the gospel. I could dress it in modern garb. I could say it in a cool way. I could say it in an old-fashioned way. But you can't change the gospel. Because it's the power of God. And unfortunately, that's what liberalism, what modernism... Neo-orthodoxy does. It uses the words we use, so it almost like, oh, they're saying, but they use it to say what they want to say. They empty it of its content. We certainly must distance ourselves from extremely inappropriate groups that picket funerals of those who are caught in a sinful lifestyle but we we must never distance ourselves from the one who lovingly, emphatically, and yet clearly calls every man everywhere to repent and believe the good news. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, right? 
And we need to pray for courage to stand up for Jesus in an increasingly hostile world. C.S. Lewis, you know I couldn't go through with a sermon without quoting from C.S. Lewis, so just bear with me. C.S. Lewis puts it this way very pointedly. He really made me think on this one. Courage is not simply one of the virtues, but the form of every virtue at the testing point, which means at the point of highest reality. Listen, this is what he means. A chastity or honesty or mercy which yields to danger will be chaste or honest or merciful only on conditions. Pilate was merciful until it became risky. You get what he's saying? In other words, if you could be scared out of doing any of those things, or expect, then, you really don't, then you're not really merciful. It's powerful. Pilate sounded like he was merciful. Pilate wanted to get Jesus off until it would have cost his skin. Oh, <laughs> you know what? Here's the man. Take him and do what you want. Right? I wash my hands. Unfortunately, there's no, no uh, earthly material that could have washed those hands. Right? But Jesus mentions another reason for us not to fear, but rather for us to be daring in our witness. Listen to this one. It, it, again, it's, it's from it's both angles, God's holiness and now God's love. He gives this reason. Our Heavenly Father's tender, loving, providential care for us. He backs up, don't fear Him who could take kill body only, but take body and soul and throw it into hell with the next line, which is, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? You're like, wow, this is our Lord. Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father. Every, and even the very hairs of your head are numbered, so don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. You have to understand, only someone who's like a bird watcher like me, a little bit of a freak sometimes, can understand what Jesus is saying here. Sometimes we listen to these common analogies. We go, yeah, yeah. Look, in the bird world, a cardinal's awesome. It's beautiful. It's red. It's glorious. You know, you think of these other birds that are rare. And Jesus is talking about sparrows. Now, I don't know, even in our, even in our country here, you see like a European sparrow. Excuse me, but they're the most common, ordinary, annoying birds. And when you get a nice, beautiful bluebird, and they'll steal their nests, and you're like, oh, those nasty European sparrows. And they're so common. The other day, one was like doing a, a bath in the dirt that we saw, and I'm like, ah, it's just a European sparrow. You know? But Jesus is saying, even those sparrows, God cares for. The commonest bird, the one that you take for granted, the one that's like no big deal. Your heavenly Father, not one of them falls until your Father allows it. And He says, you are worth more than many sparrows. Every one of your hairs, they're numbered. So don't be afraid. Go and do what your Father says. In other words, your times are in His hands. When it's time, when God wants to take you home, hey, whether it's in the bathtub or whether you're brushing your teeth or whether you're at a party or whether you're sharing the gospel with someone and they knock you in the head. Either way, that's going to be the time. Construction crew was building a new road through a rural area. I like this story. They were knocking down trees as it progressed. And a superintendent noticed that one tree had a nest of birds 
who couldn't yet fly. And so he marked the tree so that it wouldn't be cut down. Several weeks later, the superintendent came back to the tree. He got into a, a bucket truck and was lifted up so he could peer into the nest. The fledglings were gone, the little baby birds. They obviously learned to fly. The superintendent then ordered the tree to be cut down, and as the tree crashed to the ground, the nest fell clear, and some of the materials that the bird had gathered to make the nest was scattered about. Part of it was a scrap torn from a Sunday school pamphlet. This is really funny. And on the scrap of paper were these words, He careth for you. That's a God incident. God cared about those little birds. How much more ye little faith will he care for you? You're highly highly valued. Your hairs are numbered. And yes, some of us, he doesn't have to number as many. That's all right. They're still numbered. He counted them when they fell. Even Satan himself couldn't pluck one hair from your head unless your father says, okay. We can be daring in our witness to Christ knowing that our times are in his hands. So Jesus calls us to be determined. He, care, he calls us to be daring. And shortly, um, this, uh, this last point I'm going to point out this morning, it's briefer than the other ones. We'll continue next time. Is he calls us to be devoted. Look at verses 32 and 33. Some of the strongest words. But boy, they fortify us. Strengthen our backbone and resolve. 32 and 33. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. And one commentator put it this way. If as we stand before the throne, the Savior says, Father, this person was not ashamed of me in the midst of the unbelieving throng. He endured hardships for my name's sake and honored me both in confession and behavior. If he can so speak of us, will that not be ample compensation for any tribulation we have known here? In other words, isn't any suffering worth it to have that final day, the day when it really matters, to have Jesus come alongside and say, I know him or her. He is mine. Huh. true the cost of following jesus is great but the truth is the cost of not following him is even greater that's what jesus is saying you can grab all you can now by following your own will swimming with the current of this world's approval and principles you could be the captain of your own soul at least think you are the master of your own fate for a time for a season but eventually you're going to lose it all when Christ comes to own His own and disown those who disown Him. That's what He says. I will disown them. Listen. It's not Santo that's saying this. It's not the Presbyterian Church in America that's saying this. It's not the body of evangelical Christians that's saying this. It's Jesus. The key to being determined 
and daring, the first two points of this message in our witness, is being devoted to Christ. You know, I'm convicted I don't always do my devotions, but there is no command, thou shalt do thy devotions. But there is something the Bible does say. You must be devoted to Jesus. Do we love him more than anyone or anything else? Would we rather be rejected by our peers or by our enemies or him? I'd rather be rejected a million times here than once by him. Would we rather have a few more earthy, earthly years without Him? Or an, inter- an eternity of joy in His presence? It really boils down to this. Do we love Jesus? Jack Miller used to ask one question when he would be, he would be asked to go around and help churches that were flailing, churches that were spiritually weak and um, that really needed to be revived. And he would say this to the, to, uh, the leadership as they were thinking about how to lead their church into to health and growth and revival, humanly speaking. He would say, when was the last time you did something or didn't do something simply because you love Jesus? It's a good question, isn't it? It's very convicting. How many times in life we have to say, I simply can't do this, bottom line, because I love Jesus. That's it. I don't have to give you other reasons. I can't do this. Or, excuse me, the other way around. Why are you doing this? Dude, you could be doing this. Because of what Jesus did for me. I love him. I will always love him. By his grace. Isaac Watts puts it in an old-fashioned way in his old hymn, Am I a Soldier of the Cross? Puts it this way, Am I a soldier of the cross, a follower of the Lamb? And shall I fear to own His cause or blush to speak His name? Sure, I must fight if I would reign. Increase my courage, Lord. I'll bear the toil, endure the pain, supported by Thy Word. That's what Matthew 10 is all about. It's about by the grace of God standing up and saying, I am His. When you witness, you're out there saying, you're saying, I'm His. I'm doing what my Father and what my Lord told me to do. You know, what gives you the right? Who died and left you, boss? Well, I don't know about the boss part, but I can tell you about the person who died. Amen. Jesus' words here, we could take to heart, we could take to the bank. And that's, in our final analysis, these are the words that give us the strength and the authority to go and to make disciples of all nations. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You, Jesus, for all of Your Word, but we thank You even especially for Your words as they are convicting, they are purifying, they are strengthening, they are no nonsense, they are true, and they are loving. Thank you, Jesus, that you want the best for us, that you want us to be in that day glad 
that we cast our lot in with you because you cast your lot in with us, unworthy sinners. God, we pray in all seriousness and in all reality this morning that every single person here, that you would strengthen us, that you would fill us with your grace and with your power and with your might in little ways as we share the gospel with an aging father or grandfather, as we open up your word of love to the community and Bible clubs and try to build relationships so that folks could come to hear the good news and believe it and become one of yours from the heart. Father, we need you. We acknowledge, as the Apostle Paul asked for prayer, pray that I will declare the gospel boldly as I ought. Father, if he needed to pray that, how much more we need to pray. Oh, Jesus, give us boldness in our witness. And Jesus, more and more give us lives that back up the gospel we preach. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. This Sunday sermon was preached by the Reverend Dr. Santo Garofolo. New City's Sunday sermon is recorded live on location at New City Fellowship of Atlantic City. If you're in the Atlantic City area, stop by. Our address is 215 North Sovereign Avenue, Atlantic City, New Jersey. Visit us online at newcityac.org. That's www.newcityac.org. Oh God is written and performed by the Reverend Dr. Santo Garofolo. Join us next week for a brand new New Cities Sunday Sermon.